Wonderful. Well, good morning, church. It uh, really is uh, good to be with you this morning. It's much better having a birthday on a Sunday for me anyway. Get to uh, see everyone that you love. And uh, it really is uh, great to be together. All of you involved in the talent show last night. Thank you so much for that. It was uh, an amazing time. I'm glad it's over, but I thoroughly enjoyed it at the time. It was, uh, it was great fun. So, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to gather around your word. And, Lord, our prayer, Jesus, is what you taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Jesus, more of your kingdom, your rule and reign, this beautiful kingdom where Jesus, your reign is felt in our lives, is demonstrated through the way we love one another, demonstrated in our marriages and our finances. We want to walk in the authority of the kingdom of God. We say, let your kingdom come. And even when your word challenges us, even when your word pierces our hearts, we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, deal with us. We don't want to play games. We don't want to play church. We want to walk as authentic followers of Jesus. So come and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a, a preaching journey we're on at the moment from uh, breaking enemy strongholds to making Jesus the stronghold of our lives. Now, a stronghold is, is really a thought pattern that is so strong in your mind it dominates your behavior. In fact, This week I came face to face with an enemy stronghold in someone's life. And then I realized it's not just their life, it's it's been in my life, it's been in so many of our lives. In fact, this satanic stronghold has been so prevalent that, without exaggerating, I think it's literally cost millions of people, especially men, their inheritance of the power of the gospel. And this satanic stronghold, this lie of the enemy, what's so clever about it is that it just hides in plain sight. It sounds so innocent and innocuous. Just, and yet, I believe it's keeping so many from the breakthrough that God wants for them. You ready for it? Remember, a stronghold is a lie of the enemy that you've bowed your knee to and believed and lived out. Here it is. Cowboys don't cry. I mean, come on, we've all heard that. I was brought up on that. But let me tell you, that little lie right there is stopping so many from experiencing the power. Because what it tells us is, hey, tears are weakness. Emotions are weakness. Rather just harden your heart. The pain, the anger, the frustration, the emptiness, just hard. Don't show the weakness of tears. What does the Bible say? Bible says in John 11, 33 to 36, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was moved deeply in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. How did he deal with this troubled in spirit? He wept. Verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him. I want to ask you, are you a cowboy or are you a follower of Jesus? Because you can't be both. Maybe cowboys don't cry, but clearly Jesus was no cowboy. You see, what happens is, if you choose, no, 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 tears are weakness, emotions weakness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be strong, I'm going to, why do we think it's strong not to show any emotion? See, here's what it costs us. Bible tells us in Ezekiel 11, verse 19, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. This is your gospel inheritance. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that can respond to God, a heart that can, can grieve when it needs to grieve, a heart that can love. And yet if you've chosen, hey, cowboys don't cry, 
You're saying, no, thank you, Lord. I don't want this new heart of flesh. I'll keep my heart of stone. You see how innocent strongholds can look? And yet many of you sitting right here today are trapped by that lie of the enemy. I want to ask you, are you willing to release it to the Lord? Are you willing to choose today, Jesus, I want to be a Jesus follower, not a cowboy follower. Jesus, I want the truth of your word. If you wept, I can weep. I'm willing to, I'm willing to confess. I'm willing to bring it out in the open and be free. Does that make sense, what a stronghold is? Sounds so innocent, and yet it can completely dominate our behavior without us even knowing. So having said all of that, over the last couple of weeks, We've had uh, two incredible episodes when Chaz shared about the stronghold of substance abuse. The feedback we've had from that has been amazing. Last week, so full of admiration for Maralise as she shared her heart about overcoming the stronghold of rejection. Today I want to deal with one. And uh, I was told, Brent, if you preach about this, very possibly some people are going to leave the church. But I don't believe that. I believe that there's enough love and grace in this church to be able to deal with some big subjects. And so I want to deal with the stronghold of racism. Racism is, uh, is something that every single one of us in this church, every single one of us in South Africa in particular, has got experience with. We don't live just in a nation where there are racist people. Every nation in the world has got racist people. We've grown up in a nation of systemic Racism. In other words, there's been a system of racism in place. Now, when I look across this auditorium, there's people coming from all kinds of backgrounds and, and different upbringings, and all of our stories will be different. And if you're younger, your story's different to if you were older. But every one of us has been impacted by this. Now, what can happen is it can, you can hear about it, but it doesn't impact you, and yet for many... Issues of racism have become strongholds in your life and in your thinking. And I want to trust God today to allow his word to come and wash us. The word of God and the power of Jesus' name to come and wash us. If you find your heart fighting this, remember a stronghold is an argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And that's what you're experiencing. So so don't run away. Just say, actually, God, maybe this is an issue. Every one of us over the next few weeks as we deal with strongholds, at some point I believe God's going to be putting his finger on some buttons. Don't fight it. Say, Holy Spirit, come and wash me with the blood of Jesus. Amen? So let's dive in. Over the years, I've had people come and chat to me as a pastor. One couple of years back, I had a a young black guy. He was a, a young engineer. And he came to me broken, literally broken. He was in tears. He said, I don't know how to handle it. He grew up in Peter Maritzburg, went to a private, very integrated school. He went from there to university where he was well-respected and did incredibly well. And then he moved to Richards Bay to one of our factories. And he said, Brent, you, you just, it's just blatant racism. The way they treat me, the way they treat others, it's just, it's worlds apart. And if I complain, it's like, no, he's not a racist. That's just the way he is. It's not the way he is. It's just unfair. It's favoritism. It's being swept under the carpet. He was broken trying to deal with it. I've had white folk come and chat who've worked for years and years in a particular industry. They're good at their job, but were then retrenched and can't get another job because all the jobs now go to young black folk. And and I understand and they understand, but it doesn't take away the pain sometimes of now how do I feed my family? And they're wrestling with the temptation of bitterness in their heart. 
But I've also had some folk from Zimbabwe come and say, I've had a job and I've worked and now I've been kicked out of my job by South African people who want my job. Your story would be different. All of our stories might be different. But I believe every one of us has a story in some way. And I know some of the younger generation is like, what is he talking about? It's beautiful to see how things are changing. But many of you who are older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now the definition of racism is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits. There's two parts to it. A fundamental, in other words, what it's saying is you are the way you are because of the color of your skin. It means a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial difference, differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. So two parts to the definition. In other words, and out of these two parts become the two strongholds that I'm going to be speaking about today. First word is that fundamental. Fundamental is this is the root issue. The biggest reason people are the way they are is because of the color of their skin. Is that true or false? It's actually false. What the Bible tells us in Romans 3 verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. The biggest thing that determines your behavior is not the color of your skin, but the condition of your heart. Because it's from the overflow of the heart, that's where impurities, that's where sin comes from. It's not your skin that determines your actions, it's the quality of your heart. But if this has got into you, the biggest factor that determines the way people act is their race. Then stronghold number one, you fall into this trap of saying, well, everyone of that race is the same. All black people are the same. All white people are the same. All Indians are the same. And I'm guilty of that. I thought all Indian people liked spicy food. (laughs) Until I met my good friend Errol Dunniram and traveled to India and to Pakistan. And in horror of horrors, it's an embarrassment. He doesn't eat spicy food. I thought it was like Indian DNA or something. (laughs) Point is this. If that's the root It's the color of skin that determines your behavior. We fall into that trap of categorizing everyone into the same boat. But then it says a second part. And it says, and racial differences means one is superior to the others. And that's the heart. That's the problem with our human hearts. We always want to turn different into one better than the other. And so what happens if this, and, and is it true? Is it true that one race is then better than other? No, no, because what it says in Scripture once again, in Romans 3 verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the eyes of God, it's not one race now, okay, the Jews are up here, then, no, 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 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the beautiful thing about Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, in Galatians 3 verse 28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. But if you've fallen into this trap, the differences in race means one race is better than the other. That's when we start thinking, oh, Indian people are better than black people. Black people are better than white people. And that can either be your race is better than some others or some other race is better than mine. Either you feel inferior or superior, but the root of that is one of these two strongholds. My race, or no, all races are the same, or one race is superior to the other. And clearly this is a huge problem in our country. 
Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at sources. Where do strongholds come from? And a couple of them that we've mentioned, it could be unconfessed sin, occultic activity, lies you've believed, unforgiveness, generational patterns. Let me just pick up a couple of them in my own life. Let's talk about a generational one. I grew up turning 50 today. That means I think my year at school, I graduated in 1990. I think it was the last year where it was legislated schools were segregated. And what that basically means, I grew up, I finished my schooling in Howick. Never once at school did I ever have a person of color in our class. The only black people, there were no Indian people at our school, the only black people who came were the the ladies who cleaned and the gardeners outside. Those were the only black people. There was a white school, there was an Indian school, and there was a black school in the township. When I tell these stories to people in other countries, it absolutely amazes them. That's how we grew up. And when you grow up in something, when your whole world is just shaped by that, you think it's normal without ever really stopping to think. It was still illegal in those days. Certain shops, beaches, entertainment places, we still had those signs, whites only. It's just, you kind of think maybe that's normal. My exposure to to black people was, we had a maid, a domestic lady who came in and didn't just clean the house. She raised us. We loved her. Her name was Joyce. But my, I mean, so Joyce in some ways fashioned my thinking about black people because she was one of the few black people that I knew. And well, she never seemed to have a family of her own because she just seemed to live in this room outside our house all my life. We loved her dearly. What was funny is she, she always put her bed up on bricks because she told us about the tokolosh, which we thought was quite funny. That was the shaping of my understanding of black people. But what was weird was she would never eat with us. In fact, her and the garden boy, I don't know why we called him a garden boy because he was much older, he was a man. But they, they would never eat like on our plates or knives and forks. No, no, under the sink there was a metal plate and cups. And, and so then I'm thinking, is, like, is blackness some kind of like a disease or something? I don't know. You know, maybe if we use the same, would you? I want, my point is this. I had a middle-class white upbringing, not extreme, just normal in my opinion. I want us to, we would be naive to think that such upbringings wouldn't shape the way we see one another. Now, this is my perspective. Your perspective would be radically different. Indian culture growing up where you did, black culture growing up where you, your perspective would be different. My point is this. It's not enough just to say, I'm not a racist, I've got some black friends. No, that's not enough. We need to understand the root of some of the systemic racial thinking that's been part of our background so that we can identify it and break it. So we need Jesus to deliver us from old thought patterns of the past and allow his word to transform our thinking. In Romans 12 verse 2, remember that? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I thank God for that. And I became a believer, and some of that thinking began to be challenged more and more. Lord, come and change the thinking that I grew up with so that I can learn to think kingdom thoughts. Then you'll be able to attest and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For some of you, the source of a stronghold might be unconfessed sin. There may be some sitting here today, you've done some racially wicked things to people because 
in your mind there was this argument, they're just getting what they deserve. And the problem now is because you've built this argument of racism that's justified your behavior, you just know, if I suddenly surrendered this racial thinking, the full weight of my guilt is going to come landing upon me. So it's better just build an argument. Actually, I treated them the way they deserved. I want to tell you today, there's no freedom in that. That's bondage, and that's going to fester inside of you until you come to the place of surrendering it to Christ. You might be that person. Jesus, only you can have mercy. Only the blood of Christ can wash away our sin. Some of you, the source of a racial stronghold might be bitterness. Something's happened to you or to your family in some way that has damaged you, abused you, hurt you. And and that anger inside of you, instead of releasing that vengeance to the Lord, that anger has turned into a racial, racial hatred. Because of what happened to you by someone of a different race, you've now turned it into a hatred towards that whole race. Friends, there's no freedom there. Only when we bring it before the cross of Jesus. Some of you, and this for me is maybe one of the most tragic one of all, is you might have a a racial stronghold in your life because of what you were taught in church. One of the greatest atrocities is that even in this nation, teaching was brought that actually in God's eyes, some races are more chosen than others. Some are more favored, some are blessed, some are cursed, some are meant to be free, some are meant to be slaves. And what happens is when you take something from the Old Testament and just bring it straight in the New Testament without taking it through Jesus Christ, you can produce heresies. And that's exactly what happened. Looking for a way for the Bible to justify sin. You see, when you take it through Christ, in Him, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. See, Jesus paid the same price, the price of a black person, white person, Indian person, Gentile or Jew is exactly the same. To buy them out of slavery to sin and death, Jesus paid with his blood. There's no different price. Male, female, no different price. It's the blood of Jesus that shows us we have equal value before God. We have been bought by the Lord, forgiven of our sins, set free from slavery, adopted into his family by the same price, the blood of of Jesus. And so let's talk about some weapons. You're doing all right. We've talked about different weapons over the last couple of weeks using the Word of God, Holy Spirit prayer, authentic community, confessing, bringing things out of the darkness, renewing our thinking, pursuing God's purposes, persevering faith. Let me start with I'm going to just look at three in my own life. I want to talk about the first one in terms of humble confession. So now that I've matriculated in 1990, I head off to university in Durban to go and study engineering. And from my whites-only school, I land up in res on the first day, and there's 100 boys in this male res, 95 black and Indian guys, and five white boys. I remember that day clearly, and I'm sure, Dad, if you're watching online, you'll remember that day as well. He was saying, don't panic, son, just don't panic. (laughs) Let me tell you, it was a fascinating time. Because, of course, I was there from 91 through to the end of 93, which in South Africa was, was such an incredible time of transformation. But what I realized 
over those years. Because now I'm living, we're having all our meals, we, 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 we're living together for all these years. And I began to develop friendships. I began to discuss and debate and over meals and talk. And what I realized, what I thought was truth, was my protected little perspective. And the problem with apartheid is it didn't just keep people apart. It kept their ideas, their discussions, their conversations, their friendships apart. And as I went into early discussions, I would be fighting, no, this is how it should be. This is what's, and it's like, Brent, you don't have a clue what's really going on. And I began to realize what I was fighting for in terms of what I thought was right and true was just one little perspective. And as I began to build friendships and listen and learn, I discovered there's so much more to the story than my presumption or assumption. I've had the privilege before COVID anyway, of uh, every year, we'd go away as a bunch of pastors from around Zululand, and uh, we'd spend a week in Ponte Mamoli. Someone had a beach cottage there that had 14 beds, so we would uh, go as a team of 14. Normally, it would be about seven black, seven white, kind of a, and, and what I loved about it so much is, is when you spend a whole lot of time together with people, the level of honesty begins to grow. And I'm just fascinated. You get to ask the questions and then, and then people start asking you questions. And it opens your eyes about your own culture when, when you realize people see your culture different. I mean, I would look at, at some black folk and we've discussed with many when a black folk, when, when there's some kind of function, wedding, funeral, there's a cow going to be slaughtered. And I know this is some kind of ceremony and all of that. But then the one black pastor said to me, but, but Brent, don't you white people do the same? I'm like... Not a chance. He says, well, it seems that every time you guys get together, there's half a cow burnt on an altar. Oh, brying. <laughs> See, our perspective, no, this is the bra. But someone looking in from the outside with that as a cultural background sees things completely different. Lies only get broken when they're exposed to the light. Church, I want to challenge you. Instead of being a racist... Choose to become a student of culture. I love culture. It's one of my passions in life. I love learning about culture, especially things like uh, weddings and uh, funerals. They, they're so different in different cultures. Going to Pakistan and learning how different that culture is of dowry compared to my black Zulu brothers who are paying Lobola and all of these things. It's so fascinating, different, and yet we're so much the same. Weapon number one, humility to confess bringing racial thinking out of the darkness and into the light. I want to talk secondly, a weapon of hiding the truth in our hearts. Friends, I want us to know that Jesus Christ came to smash every form of favoritism. Whether it was racial, sexist, whatever it was, economic, Jesus came to smash segregated thinking. For example, he spoke to that woman, Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There it is. It was systemic into their culture as well. It was written into their laws. You can't talk to people of different race. Jesus did. You can't talk as a male. You can't speak to a woman. Jesus did. He smashed through those cultural barriers that keep people apart. Jesus ministered to a Gentile, Roman centurion, who asked for help with his servant. Jesus said, I'm willing. 
Jesus allowed women into his teaching meetings. He chose tax collectors as an apostle. He allowed a prostitute to sit at his feet at a meal. And he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world, to all ethnic groups, all races, all people. This is the heart of Jesus. In fact, in Revelation 5, when we get a glimpse of heaven, in verses 9 and 10, it says they sang a new song saying, you are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The blood of Jesus has purchased people from every race, every culture. My question is, are you willing to love the ones that Jesus has paid for. In James chapter 2 verse 1, it says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So here it is, weapon number two of truth. Racism is favoritism and favoritism is sin. Let me say it again. Racism is favoritism and favoritism is sin. Do I hear an amen? Let me... Last weapon then is the weapon of community. No matter what race or culture you come from, we discover that we actually have way more in common than we have different. And uh, I think the biggest thing that we have in common is the fact that every race, every nation, every person, deep down, just wants to be loved and wants to belong. And what Jesus said in the famous verse of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He didn't just love you, he loved the world. He loved people of every tribe and tongue that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And learning to love, really love people of other cultures and races helps you learn and appreciate and realize we're actually so similar. One of my best friends is lame. You've heard me speak about him. He's preached here in our church before. Mling Nube from uh, Harare leads a beautiful church, Tabernacle of Worship in, uh, in Harare in Zimbabwe. Him and I have traveled just uh, in March this year. We spent two and a half weeks together traveling around South America. He's completely different. He lives in a nation that's economically so different. His culture is different. His, his background is different. The way where he ministers is different. And yet, we're so much the same. On the outside, things look different, but our hearts, he's got a family, he's got a wife, he's got a church, we're so much the same. I've had the privilege of traveling with uh, Errol and Cindy Duniram, and I, and I love them so much. We've been to Brazil together, we've been to Pakistan together, we've been to India together, and I love them so much, and they've taught me so much. Indian culture is complicated at funerals. Yo, I have to have a mentoring coach to guide me through these things. But I love it. You see, when you, you genuinely love one another, you're not judging each other anymore. We can laugh at one another. We can tease one another. And then you discover, even though some of the cultural practices are different, we actually so much the same. I meet with a group of pastors every Friday. We call it our Pancake Mentoring Group. It's a group of township uh, pastors from uh, around Richards Bay. And uh, I, I've discovered it is much, much harder to be a black pastor than a white pastor. I'm just saying. I've, uh, I've had some of them arrive on a Friday because we meet at 10.30 and I'll say, yeah, I was doing a funeral this morning. And the pastor would say, what do you mean you did a funeral this morning? Yeah, we had a funeral at nine. 
and now it's 10.30 and the funeral's finished. Yeah, it's about an hour for a funeral. He's like, where's the time for the crying? No, we kind of show a video and we, we sing and then we have some eats afterwards. He said, Brent, that's not a funeral, that's a party. <laughs> you see, as my black brothers and sisters among us know, a funeral, that's at least an all-day affair. This time last year, I remember because it was my birthday, my good friend Isaac Lakula was getting engaged. Now, for me to get engaged to Kate was one question. Yes or no? Done. <laughs> Fortunately, she said Yes. For my good friend Isaac Lakula, it was a whole day outing that started at five in the morning as we drove up to Nongoma. And of course the negotiations delayed and were dragged because they always delayed and dragged. It was like a whole wedding ceremony, but it's not a wedding ceremony, it's just the engagement. There was negotiations, there was lots of money spent, it was a whole, it was complicated. And yet end result, exactly the same. I need a wife. We might be so different on the outside, but actually we're so much the same. The big idea is that authentic gospel community with people from different cultures is the best way to learn and to grow. Weapon number three, authentic community with people of different races. And so church, I want to leave us with a vision. Jesus had risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, He's commissioned the apostles to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. But in all reality, it wasn't really happening. So Jesus begins to look for another church that's going to impact the nations. We would think surely Jerusalem would be the church. It wasn't. There was another church that was planted. And this church in Antioch was planted when some brave Jewish men and women decided instead of just preaching to Jews... Because God has been speaking to us that the gospel is for people of every race and every culture. They began to preach across cultural barriers. And Greeks and Gentiles and Romans began to respond. And it says the hand of the Lord was with them. And so Barnabas went to help establish this church. And when we get to Acts 13 chapter 1, it's about four years into the life of this new church. And I want you to have a look at it up on the screen. Here's the leadership team of this new church. It says in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Barnabas. Now we know about Barnabas. That's his nickname actually. He was a Levite. He was a Jewish, good Jewish boy. Grown up in the faith. He was a Levite, well schooled in Old Testament and in Jewish law. Now he was probably the leader of the church. Next to him is Simeon called Naja. Okay. Anyone know what Naja means? Yeah, Black. So they were calling him the black guy. Any idea why you'd think they'd call Simeon the black guy? Yeah, exactly. He was a black guy. And so what we have here is next to Barnabas, the Jewish boy, we have Simeon who would have come from Africa. Thank you, Jesus, that the gospel came to Africa. And so Simeon is definitely not a Jew. He would have been a Gentile coming up from Africa who is now part of the leadership team. Next, we have Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene means that's a Greek name. So Lucius is definitely not Jewish. He would have been a Gentile. In fact, the name Lucius is actually the Greek form of the word Luke. And if you've read your Bible, chances are, because whoever that Luke was who wrote the Bible was the one who traveled with Paul, who was part of the same team. And that Luke was actually a qualified doctor who probably traveled with Paul because he was seasick all the time. (laughs) Probably did, true story. And so... 
Here we have the, the Jewish boy, we have the black guy from Africa, and here we have Luke, a doctor who's a Gentile Greek. And next to them we have Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. In other words, the king. Now, they were dominated by Roman rule, and he was brought up with the future king. So he was not Greek, he was definitely not Jewish. Manaean would have been a Roman And he would have gone to the very best elite private schools. He would come from an extremely wealthy background, but now he was part of the leadership team of the church. We've got the Jewish boy who was a priest. We have the black guy from Africa. We have Luke the doctor, who's a Greek and a Gentile. And now we have Manaean, who's a Roman, wealthy, well-educated man. And we have Saul, who became Paul, who's that ex-Pharisee with a criminal record. Welcome to the leadership team. (laughs) When Jesus went looking for a church to impact the nations, that's the church he chose. That's the church he chose. He chose a church that had the nations in here. Before we get to talk about nations out there, we've got to know if the nations are in here. If we cannot even love one another across different cultures and races here, what right do we have of trying to do it out there? Amen? Jesus, we want to be a church that reflects the beauty of the kingdom of God. Friends, we would be naive, any one of us, to think that racism hasn't in some way shaped and molded our thinking and our past. So let's not pretend. Let's be honest before God. Let's say, Jesus, come and smash the stronghold in Jesus' name. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. Heavenly Father, we, we stand in your presence. And we invite you, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to come and minister into our hearts. Holy Spirit, if this is a stronghold that has shaped our thinking that's holding us back from a full knowledge of Jesus. If this is an argument against the knowledge of God, if this is a pretension, some kind of arrogant superiority we're holding on to, Lord God, today we want to confess it as sin. And friends, I know this could be a sensitive thing in many hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us? Holy Spirit, would you allow your word to wash and shape and mold us? Jesus, we want to be that church that you use to impact nations. Come, Holy Spirit. Friends, just in the quietness of your heart right now, remember what the Bible says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you need to confess to the Lord right now. Lord, stronghold number one, I've been thinking all black people are the same, all white people are the same, all Indian people are the same. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, if I've been thinking my race is superior to another race or some other race is superior to my race, forgive me, Lord. Break that thinking now. Thank you, Jesus. Your blood paid equally for every one of us. Equal in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. 
And Father, I pray that you would come and fill us with your supernatural love for one another. That we would be known, Jesus, you prayed, that the world would know that you have sent me, Father, by their love for one another. That this church would be known like a shining beacon into the city, known for genuine friendship and love for one another. That whoever walks through these doors would find love and acceptance and home and belonging. Help us to shine for you in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your incredible patience. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the truth that sets us free. Thank you, Lord God, that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, may the Lord bless you. truly.